podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to episode 16 of the Wisdom Cricket Weekly Podcast. Another week and another abject batting performance from England and another dominant win from the West Indies. This week we have someone better placed than most to give an insight on the West Indies team this week. Former West Indies coach and current Middlesex coach Stuart Law is with us. A warm welcome Stuart, welcome to the podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me, looking forward to it. Absolutely. Um, we're also joined by magazine editor of Wisdom Cricket Monthly, Joe Harmon. Welcome Joe. Cheers Jazz. Um, let's get into it straight away then. Joe, what's your moment of the week? My moment of the week, uh, I realise this is the second time in three weeks I've picked something from the Bangladesh Premier League, which is perhaps suggesting I'm watching more of it than I, than I actually am, but uh, I had to pick this one out because it's actually, and it sounds ridiculous to say, it's the best catch I've ever seen. It is ridiculous. Uh, and the more, there's so many good catches these days, it, it, it does say, seem a silly thing to say, um, but Jason Roy, which you've probably all seen on, on Twitter, um, short ball, hoiked into the leg side, hit flat, for all money it's going for six. Jason Roy at full stretch, left hand, plucks out the air. David De Gea would have been proud of it. And the remarkable, so that's miraculous in itself. The remarkable thing is that he doesn't then go over the boundary line. He has the agility, presence of mind to, to hold himself back. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, it's just it's, it's a ridiculous piece of fielding. And because it's Jason Roy and he does this kind of thing quite regularly, you know it's not a, not a fluke as well. He, he trains for this stuff and he's an extraordinary fielder. And the other thing about it is the lights at that stadium aren't very good. Well, they're not as you know bright as most stadiums around the world. Right. So to actually pick out the ball um, in that in that light, the hazy light, and then as you say, he took the one-handed left hand, but the ball was right behind him, and to not roll over the rope was a great effort. Fantastic and he, he's effort. actually sprinting at full speed, so he never stops to set himself because he he can't. He doesn't have the opportunity to. And the speed of the ball. Yeah. Doesn't, doesn't have a chance. Yeah. No, brilliant effort. And. Um, Joe, do you think Jason Roy's got a place in the England Test side after what's happened this week as well? Well, I, the thing is, I don't want to say he should be picked in England's top three Test team because he takes an extraordinary catch in the Bangladesh yeah. Premier League. Obviously, that would be nonsense. <laughs> but he is a cricketer who does extraordinary things, and that makes him a very tempting pick. Uh, we've had some safer options picked over the last few years for England who have done some very ordinary things, and now we've got, I think, an extraordinary player who has a very high ceiling. Uh, we've seen Joss Butler come into the England Test side, having not played much first-class cricket and done very well. West Indies tour aside, um, and also Roy, this is not a player who's got no first-class record to speak of. And he averages 47 in first-class cricket since the start of 2014. That's not too shabby. Uh, only eight, eight first-class games in the last two years is slightly problematic. But as I say, if he's if he's got the talent, I think it's personally I think it's time to roll the dice. Given the fact that we've gone through the other options, we've gone through the guys that have racked up the runs in county cricket. Let's have a look at him. Uh, well, let's talk about England's performance at Antigua. To be honest, pretty similar to their performance in Barbados. Rolled over uh, under 200 twice in the Test match, albeit in quite difficult batting conditions. But I think uh, what was, wasn't was great viewing for England supporters was the fact that West Indies really knuckled down and managed to get 300, bat 130 overs. Darren Bravo got 50 off 216 balls, which is the third slowest 50 in terms of minutes batted in the history of Test cricket. Um, that was an extraordinary performance. Um, Stuart, Joe, why, why do we think England have been rolled out under 250 four times during uh, this series so far? What's, what's gone wrong for England? Well, I'll, I'll take the lead here. Um, you know, I said before England went that they can't underestimate the West Indies. The West Indies have got firepower. They've got fast bowlers. 
Um, they've got some decent batters. Um, Shannon Gabriel bowling at 95 plus every ball on an up and down wicket. No one wants to face it. Um, and I know for a fact that there's a few England boys in there that don't like facing Shannon Gabriel. Um, he wasn't the main destroyer. He was the one who put the you know, the wind up them and mm. got them thinking. And then you had the, the skill and the craft of you know Kimar Roach in the first innings, uh, first Test match, uh, and the second Test match. Jason Holder with his big swing and bounce, uh, and a young firebrand Elzari Joseph who can you know let rip at ninety plus as well. So look, it was it's it's not not a surprise to me in the sense that you know West Indies really took it to England. It's a surprise they've done it twice. Um, and England didn't have an answer in the second test, uh, mainly due to the, I think the wicket was probably a contributing factor. However, I think the West Indies had better plans. They they attacked the stumps more when they bowled. England bowling pretty balls outside off stump through to the keeper. It all looks great, but not very effective. Um, on an up and down wicket, everyone knows that if you're bowling fast and straight, it's very hard to bat against. On Alzari Joseph, he's, you must know him fairly, fairly well, having coached him. Uh, I thought it was an amazing thing that he did on that morning after his mother had died and comes out and, and bowls the way he did. What, what kind of, what's, what's he like as a guy? Can you give some insight on, on that? Yeah, I think every time you meet him, he, instead of him wanting to shake your hand, he wants to punch you. Um, he's got that look <laughs> in his face. He's, he's an angry young man, but once you, once you break down the barriers, once he's confident talking to you and in your presence, um, yeah, he's a champion young man. Um, he is a tough character. He, he's been brought up tough. Um, yeah, it's a shame that you know, his mum was ill a couple of, uh, or a year ago. Um, she was in and out of hospital then, um, and it's just a tragedy and a shame that you know, she passed away during the, during the match. Um, strength of his is mental toughness. Um, he doesn't, you know, he's, he's very, very um, you know, stubborn in, in the way he goes about his cricket, but when he, when he needs, to, needs help, he, he does listen. And he's improving out of sight. You know, he had a stress fracture last year in his back, um, he spent time away from the game, and the, the the thought was he wanted to rush back and play. And you know the support staff and uh, the medical team kept him back and kept getting him stronger and stronger. And during this Test series so far, every time he's bowled, he hasn't bowled a lot of overs, hasn't had much of an opportunity to. Um, but he has kept maintained his pace, uh, which I think is is crucial for those West Indian boys. If they can maintain their pace, they're faster than most guys going around in world cricket right now. Yeah, they can make a, a massive difference. Hats off to the young man. You know, losing your mum's not not a great great thing at any, any in any man's language. But to put that aside, come out and help his side win a game of cricket. That that speaks volumes for the kid's character. It's amazing that West Indies at the moment have three bowlers who can bowl in and around 90 miles per hour, plus Jason Holder. Very few teams in the world can boast that. Why do you think that West Indies have, uh, have been able to produce three at the same time, whereas uh, a country like England, um, with all the resources that England have? really struggle to produce those 90-mile-per-hour bowlers? It's just body composition, body makeup, uh, fast twitch fibres, strength. Um, there's three in the West Indies team currently. There's also a couple coming through. Um, and don't forget guys like Miguel Cummins who can bowl, you know, 88-plus. Yeah. Um, so they've got, they got quite a battery. Um, if they can get this young kid, O'Shane Thomas, mm. super fit, really super exciting. strong. Mate, he bowls very fast. You know? <laughs> um, I saw him bowl in India... And there was a couple of times he had Shikha Darwin, you know, on, on, on a string at one stage. Um, and he just bowled fast. Um, if we can unearth what West Indies can unearth, you know, two or three more of those, you can rotate them in, keep everyone fresh. If there's an injury, well, you've got cover automatically and you can't, you can't buy pace. You know, it's, a, it's something that's a God-given talent. Um, 
doesn't matter how many how many weights you, you lift. Um, doesn't matter how much technique work you do. It, it's just raw talent and body composition that allow these guys to to maintain or to, to get up to those speeds. There's been a few guys in in the rest in the Western world who have done it. Uh, Brett Lee, for instance, you know, show actor. Um, you know, and up, upwards of you know Andrew Flintoff in this part of the world who bowled upwards of 90 plus. But you know, there's not that many. West Indies, there seems to be everyone around the corner who can bowl 90-plus mile an hour, and they, they love doing it. Do you think uh, England were at all complacent going into the series, or do you think, to say that, does West Indies a disservice? Yeah, look, I don't think England were complacent. They wouldn't have been. They wouldn't have been allowed to, to be in that mindset with Trevor Bayless, knowing TB very well. Um, I think I think you can't underestimate the, the ability and the, the talent of the West Indies cricket team. Yeah. Um, and these boys, I, I said it before England left, I said that if these guys play to their ability, if they, aren't, if they believe that they can go out there and perform, they will. Uh, and that's what happened. You know, No batsman really scored a big 100, but it was difficult conditions. No one has. But what West Indies did, they attacked the stumps when they bowled. Um, Roston Chase, you know, got eight from the first test. And the hardest ball in world cricket at the moment to face is the non-spinning spinner. <laughs> um, but he gets incredible bounce, you know, because he's a he's tall. He's six foot four, six foot five again. And you know, they had a they had a the strategy was very simple: just bowl fast and straight, the odd bumper, and you know, just make sure you grab all, every opportunity. And that's what they did. Hindsight's a wonderful thing, but do you think, Joe, that England missed a trick not calling up Jamie Overton, who's playing for the England Lions at the moment in India, when Ollie Stone was injured early in the tour, given? The West Indies are um, giving England batsmen living hell at the moment through their 90 miles per hour pace attack. Also, I, mean, I think that is with hindsight reading. Really. They've got so many bowling options already to yeah. throw another one into the mix would have perhaps complicated things anyway. I mean, Sam Curran is obviously a wonderful cricketer and is going to do some, some great things for England, but this hasn't really been the series for him. Mm. You'd have probably preferred to have Chris Wokes out there bowling um, and also obviously something with the bat as well. Um, and Broad had to be had to be picked. I think I think we're going to come on to Broad mm. anyway. Um, he obviously was bowling fantastically well in the nets. Everyone everyone tells you that, but then he showed in the match that he actually he was kind of somewhere near back to yeah. his best as well. Yeah, my moment of the week was um, Broad's spell and battle against John Campbell. Um, Broad was bowling. I think the best I've seen him bowl in a long time with his short and run up. I think he had a bit more energy at the crease. Um, John Campbell playing only his second test match doesn't have an amazing first class record but he battled really hard he got lucky occasionally with a few player misses but um, he stuck at it and got a crucial 47 um, that was more can be said for any, any of England's top order um, question for you Stuart so mm. as a coach how much emphasis do you put on uh, how well a player is doing in training so from England's point of view in this test match in this series uh, if, if you've seen Stuart Broad bowl that well in Antigua and if he was doing that in the nets as a coach are you are you ignoring that compared to like match recent match performances or are the nets how they well they're doing in training is really important as well? well? It's not so much how they bat and bowl the nets; it's their attitude towards you know their cricket uh, in the in the training area. Um, look, the one thing about Stuart Broad, I was I was surprised he didn't play in that first test, um, knowing Barbados was spin hasn't really had a had an effect uh, in Barbados, um, even though it can look really dry and crumbly. Um, the quick bowlers do the do the bulk of the work there, and to leave a guy like Broad out, you're not leaving him out because of his ability. You're leaving him out. Oh, sorry, you're not wanting to pick him because of his ability. You, you're wanting to pick him because of his experience. Um, experience, you know, you can't buy it on a shelf. Uh, and he's been an outstanding performer. He, he, he had a great, um, you know, year last year over here. Um, 
he started he started the tour well too in that practice game at um, in Barbados. Took a hat trick. Took, took a hat trick. Yeah. Um, his pace is up. I've not seen him bowl this fast for a long time. Um, you know, and as you said, he's, he's changed a few things. Uh, run ups, probably one of them, um, and that that does create a bit more more momentum at the crease. Um, look, I, whether they missed a trick, hindsight is is a wonderful thing. If I didn't like my hindsight, oh, geez, I'd be I'd be a very wealthy man. Um, but you know. I just think if you've got your experienced players, you want to make a marker in the first test match. You don't want to try and play catch-up. Uh, and in a three-match series, you're trying to win the first two, obviously. Um, I, I thought Broad should have played in that first one. Um, the way he did bowl was was outstanding in Antigua. Uh, it just showed what, what they actually missed um, in the first test. Um, you don't really go batsman. There's, there's, there's two types of players. There's guys who look like Don Brabant in the nets and bat like Donald Duck in the middle. Um <laughs> You don't want them, you know. It doesn't matter how well you're hitting the. So nets, nets are there just for the players to, to keep in touch. Yes, you take them aside if they they got a problem to work on, um, but nets are just there to, to maintain what they already have. Um, you shouldn't take that into consideration, but experienced you definitely do. You talk about attitude there, and it's clear with Broad, he's got real fire in his belly at the moment. Partly because perhaps his place is under threat, partly because he's a really competitive bloke who, who feeds off that, but. I think perhaps there'd been a suggestion among some people that he was maybe his career was winding down, his pace was down a bit. He seems destined to have a, a successful career in the media. No doubt we'll go straight into that. But actually, he's shown by the amount of work he's put in that he is desperate to not only play this Ashes summer, but to carry on after that. And I think England needs to be careful with their succession planning as well. We can't lose Anderson abroad at the same time. We've seen that with Australian teams of the past. Yeah. If you lose big players at the same time, then that leaves a massive hole that just can't be filled. So Broad's got quite a lot of responsibility to, to stay not only fit and firing for the next year, but the next two years, three years potentially, uh, and lead that England attack even when Anderson decides to call it a day. Well, that's the problem with Anderson playing on until he's 36, 37. It's expecting quite a lot of uh, Broad. Sure. Nice kind problem of, to have. Well, yeah, true, true. <laughs> um, we've not really talked about England's batting that much yet. So a lot of people have been saying that England's approach was wrong. Uh, Trevor Bayish himself said that the mindset between the ODI side and the Test side has got a bit muddled. Um, England's three to seven in the Test side all play in their ODI eleven at the moment. Um, but Butler, Besto, Root, Stokes, Moeen. Um But actually, I, I don't think there was a problem with their approach. It was they were getting out bold LBW. They weren't as if they were um, nicking off the balls that they shouldn't have been playing at. It was actually the straight ones that they, sh- they should have been able to defend. Uh, they weren't actually defending. Mm. Um, is that does that is that is it potentially that there's a deeper problem where there's actually a technical deficiency, which is harder for a coach to admit, really after a loss. Technical deficiency. I'm definitely going to hand over to Stuart. Right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> technical deficiencies. I mean, there's there's a lot of moving parts to a lot of the England batters. Um, the mechanics you certainly saw. I'm watching uh, Joe Root bat. You know, I love watching Joe bat. He's a he's a brilliant stroke player, and I love the way he plays his game. But he just made a, a slight well that probably unknowingly, a uh, slight change in his in his trigger. Instead of his back foot going back and across, it was going uh, back towards a leg stump, which takes you further away from the ball and opens up middle and off stump. So whether he, uh, I'm guarantee he wouldn't know he's doing that. And that's what you say he wouldn't know? I wouldn't, he wouldn't know. Okay. Um, so he, unless he's doing it on purpose, um, I, I don't think that'd be the case. That's not him. Um, when he's had his success, he, he does move his back foot back and across. But to see that, that's, that's just a little bad habit that's crept in, which... You know, you need to jump on pretty pretty quickly. Very hard to change a technique during a test series. 
But as long as the player knows and understands that's what he's doing, um, he's got a chance to get it right. Do you think that could be something to do with the extra pace from Shannon Gabriel? Um, Gabriel yeah, really hurried him, particularly yeah, in that first test. Got some good balls about yeah, it. Yeah, 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 he did. He did. Um, I don't think it would be because of that. Um, it's subconscious. Something's just not quite right. And when you're out of form or you know, people talk about in and out of form, when you're not scoring runs, you know, you tend to, you know, work on different things and forget the other, the basics that really make you make, make you bat well. Mm. Um, and that's probably just been a little oversight from, from Joe's point of view. Um, you know, but the rest of the players, they're, they're, they're quality cricketers. You know, they, they came off a three a series win in Sri Lanka. So their confidence should be sky high. I don't think it's complacency. I don't think there is, you know, the technical deficiencies um, are one thing, but I don't think it hampered what England did um, in the Caribbean. What what probably did was the mindset and, you know, the shot selection at times. Um, and, you know, let's face it, West Indies bowled bloody well. You know, they, they, they took it to them. They gave them some short stuff, mm. which, you know, Shannon Gabriel's reluctant to bowl a bumper. If I bowled 95 <laughs> mile an hour, I'd be bowling three and over, um, you know, as a frustrated batter. But... Um, you know, he, he really, he really did hurry them up, mm. um, and that, that stays in the back of your mind. So, look, credit, as we said before, credit to the West Indies for for getting them into a position, putting them under pressure. When you're under pressure, your mind does, you know, weird things to you. I was going to ask you that. So, have, have you, were you ever in a uh, position in your career where you were in a team that was, went through a, a run currently? What the England team are doing right now? We've had four successive innings. We've had quite, quite major collapses. What's that like in the dressing room? Are you affected by what's going on around you when you're out there in the middle? Well, you, you are, yeah, of course you are. Because um, everyone starts talking and, you, you know, here we go again, we're, mm. we're, we're sliding down the, the barrel of a you know, defeat and um, it, it's always woe is me. Um, what that cries out for is someone to stick their chest up, stand up and say, look, I'll get out there and I'll show you how to do it. Mm. Um, and that's what was missing. That's what happened in the West Indies innings. Craig Brathwaite and J.D. Campbell were brilliant at the top. You know, England threw everything at them. Jimmy Anderson, uh, Stuart Broad, Ben Stokes, they bowled beautifully. You know, or they bowled, they bowled well. Mm. They bowled some really good deliveries. Um, probably not enough hitting the stumps, which was their downfall, but they survived, the, those two batters. They survived because they said, right, I'm here. You've got to get me out. Whereas I think the English, English boys, with their aggressive nature and the way they want to take the game forward, I think they probably, you know, shot selection wasn't, you know, great uh, at times, and that led to their downfall. So there's there's little little things you can you can pick out, um, you know, to to really focus on for the next Test match in St Lucia. Everyone's talking about slow low wicket. It's the fastest bounciest wicket in the Caribbean. So um, there's going to be more pace, uh, more grass than they've seen in the last two Test and even grass. Um, so it's it, it's going to provide a, a decent you know cricket surface. And there's going to be more pace in it than, than the other two venues. It's Rick, you can imagine the English dressing room watching the way Bairstow batted in the first innings. He, he just batted beautifully and yeah. scored a run of ball 50, effectively thinking, well, maybe that, is, maybe that is the way to go on this pitch, especially when it looks so green up top. But then that relied on Bairstow, looks to be in very, very good form, even though he hasn't necessarily mm. got the runs to show for it. Those margins are quite small, aren't they? You can't go out there and, and play. Everyone can't play like that because you are going to start losing some wickets. Yeah, and you've got to understand the conditions too. Barbados, uh, well, generally the wickets in the Caribbean, it's an earlier start. It's a 9.30, 10 o'clock start. Um, they can be very tacky in the morning. Right. So you can't just go out and throw the kitchen sink at everything because um, there's the tennis ball bounce, a bit of seam, um, not a great deal of pace coming onto the bat. Um, Johnny's a different player. 
Um, I, I wouldn't instruct anyone to say, right, go and play the way Johnny Bairstow plays, because mm. no one can, only Johnny can. Everyone's got to work out their way of scoring their runs at a, at, at a rate that's acceptable to the team's requirements. And if that means you've got to score 50 off, you know, 1,000 balls like Darren Bravo did, it helped the team team's cause. It kept England out there, tied them out, um, gave the bowlers a, a much-needed rest, a bit of a buffer with the, the lead in the, in, the, in the runs, and, you know, it, it really worked for the team. You know, going out making a pretty 50 off, you know, 60 balls hasn't really helped. You know, Johnny, you know, is a, is a great player and he, he loves scoring hundreds. Um, that, that's what England pride out for. They needed someone to stick their hand up, as I said before, puff your chest out, say, right, mm. today's my day, you're not getting me out. And you've got to get me out, I'm not giving you my wicket. On Bravo, was it, it's all frustrating for you to see him batting like that in a test match, having not had his <laughs> services available to you during your time? Well, look, it would have been nice to have Darren. There, there are reasons why, um, you know, I could, I, I could get you know, angry with it, but... There are reasons why, and I understand. You know, the players, they have their, their, their way of dealing with things in the Caribbean. You've got to be understanding of you know, culture, cultural differences. Um, and look, you know, he, he had his reasons. Um, and I, I, can't, I can't tell him otherwise. Um, I would love to have his services in all forms of the game because mm. um, he's a wonderful player. Uh, but it wasn't to be. Um, so we, I just had to you know, be patient and bide my time. And, um, unfortunately, it came it came too late for me uh, in the West Indies sense, but it's great to see him back playing. I think the West Indies were crying out for someone um, to just to, to bolster that middle order, take a bit of the pressure off the young kids um, who were coming through the Shea Hopes and uh, Shimon Hetmyers and what have you, and just add that stability. With that stability will come success on all, all platforms, and not only for Darren, but also those, those kids around him. So... Look, he's, he's got a massive job, whether you know, he's got to start scoring runs and at, a, at a better rate, let's face it. Um, but he, he did bat, it, he bat the circumstances very well. Um, he's got a big job. Not only has he got to you know, get in, survive, rebuild his test career and then flourish, he's got to help those other guys do that as well. And his experience and his knowledge to pass on to those young players, it's, it's going to be invaluable for them to learn, to listen um, and to watch how he goes about it because... That, less, that, that innings, it's a great less, lesson for a guy like Shimon Hetmeyer, who will go out and make 90 or you know, 50 balls in a test match and try and hit every ball for six. He, he will do that. Um, he needs to see that, okay, you can bat this way as well in test cricket, save that for the white ball stuff and become a, a more complete cricketer. You know, he's, he's going to be good, that, that Hetmeyer. Yeah, I was going to ask you, actually, my final question on the West Indies team was... How good do you think Shimon Etmire can be? Um, he's, he seems to have an appetite to succeed in Test cricket as well. He's, he's spoken about how that's mm. still the pinnacle, and he wants to really succeed in that format. Um, yeah, how good do you think he, he will be? Look, mate, they, they've compared him with Brian Lara. Um, I reckon that's that might be that's a bit tough. Um, I've heard other players being compared to you know, future gener- or um, past generations uh, in, in other countries and they've never yeah. quite lived up to it. England's still looking for the next Ian Botham. Um, it, it'll never happen. Lara, once in a generation cricketer. Hetmeyer could be the same. He could be a once in a generation cricketer. Really? That good? I, mate, I believe so. If he, if he you know, understands you know, tempos in you know, different formats of the game, he, he's got you know, one day cricket now, he's started to work that out. T20 cricket, he's not quite understanding and test cricket, he's getting better. So the more he plays, the better he will get. He, he's one that you know we've always said in the when we're also with the West Indies, we, we said that you've got to persist with him. We persist with him; he will learn. 
he will understand that you can't just go ahead and try and hit Trent Bolt back over his head for six every second ball. And that's what he tried to do when we were in New Zealand. Um, he now knows that you've got to treat with him a little bit of respect before he can cash in at the end of the day. And once he learns that, man, oh, man, he's going to be great to watch. Was he a quick learner? Was he somebody who's like... Oh, not really. No, he's a stubborn. He's, <laughs> he's a stubborn young man. Um, you know, very much. And I, I don't mind that. I don't mind him saying, no, I don't, no, I'll do it my way. And that's good. He's then got to find a way. And then he's, he's totally accountable for his, his career and his, his choices. So... I don't mind that in a play. If, you know, leave me alone, coach. Well, then, okay, it's, it's up to performance. If you're not performing, we've got no option but to let you go. Um, so that, that's great. And if a player understands that it's his, uh, up to him, it's amazing how much they, they start learning and start asking and start moving forward. Um, actually, there is one more thing we, we should discuss about the, the England West Indies series. Um, that's the Jason Holder overrate ban. Uh, after, after going 2 up in the series, one of West Indies... Great series wins, certainly of the 21st century. Um, to have their captain unavailable for the last test match is it's pretty depressing. Particularly, <laughs> the test match ended in three days and England only batted 42 overs. So he didn't get much chance to actually get the overs back up, get the over eight back up. And they've got four quick bowlers. What do you expect? And, and the other element, if, we talk, if the point of this whole thing is that we want to keep crowds entertained and we don't want them losing overs, then what are they meant to do? Are they meant to bowl... <laughs> 10 overs of part-time spin, is that what the crowd are coming in to see or do they want to see four quicks bowl it? So yeah. the whole thing seems completely counterintuitive and then you add on top of that, a great series is now not going to have the West Indies captain who's been magnificent throughout in that final test. Now, how is that pleasing the fans? <laughs> yeah. So I think you've got to whack them with hefty bands if that's, if that's the way you're going to go and if we do think it's, I mean, Jonathan, you called it the scourge of test cricket. I don't quite see it as, as that myself. <laughs> but if it really is that big an issue, then hit them in the pocket. That's, that will have a bigger effect, I think. Well, they do get hit in the pocket. Um, you know, all, well, look, I, I've got a different view. Um, it's it's in the laws of the game that the the pace of play is one thing, and everyone has a meeting at the start of each series that you know um, the pace of play is important. We're going to look at it and we're going to really target it and say blah blah blah. They and they they do police it you know more stringently than they ever have. The the other thing to look at though, um, and this is the this is the flip side is yeah they won on the third day. There was still about twenty five overs left. I think, I can't quite remember, but let's say for argument's sake, 25 overs left. Two days to play, so there's another 180. So that's 205 overs left in the game. Jason was two overs down. So actually, West Indies are 203 overs up. <laughs> winning the game in three days. Yeah. You know, you should get a bonus for it. Well, um, <laughs> but what, what you said, Joe, was right. Why would you, for the sake of your over rate, why would you take out a Shannon Gabriel and Elzari Joseph to bowl Roston Chase and J.D. Campbell on a wicket that's not turning but going up and down for the fast bowls? Man, if you did that, you would have been strung up and shot, I reckon, in, in Antigua particularly. So what are you doing? You know, It's just common sense. You know, Common sense has got to come, come into play. Uh, I know the, the match referees, and Jeff Crowe's a brilliant match referees, they've got a job to do. Or I get it. But surely, come on, common sense. Maybe they just need to t- start taking fewer wickets in each session as well. That's like, that <laughs> can't really help the run Start playing wickets a bit better. <laughs> um, Stuart, what's, what's your moment of the week? Uh, my moment of the week, um, I'm going back to my homeland, Australia. Yes, they, they beat Sri Lanka 2-0, but just the turnaround in form and fortune of Mitch Stark. Um, you know, uh, two tests and matches ago, the ex-players, the commentators, uh, the public... 
calling for his head. Let's Mark him. Taylor was questioning his spot in the ashes touring squad, let alone eleven. Yeah, I think I think they uh, I think there's quite a few in that in that boat. Um, whether that motivated Mitch to to produce what he did in Canberra, but um, to turn it around, I know Mitch quite well. He's he's a sensitive soul, but you know fiercely, fiercely determined. And um, I think Brendan Julian was one who also left him out of his Ashes team or Ashes squad. And funny enough, Brendan Julian was the after-match uh, <laughs> presenter who, who had to present him with the Man of the Match award. And that, was, that was quite a frosty conversation. I watched that with great interest. Um, but Mitch Stark, you know, 10 for in the match, um, you know, probably career on the line as, as far as some people are concerned and went out and showed, him what he, showed everybody what he can do. So great effort from Mitch. A couple of Aussies got hundreds as well. That's the first time we've seen that in a while. <laughs> Yeah, four in a game, that's, uh, that's unheard of in recent times. But really pleased for guys like Joe Burns, who, who you know, before this series, you know, he, he played 12 test matches, um, 300s. He'd been yeah. harshly treated, hadn't he? he yeah. was, well, no, if you're a Queenslander, you understand it. You know, he's obviously <laughs> speaking from experience. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. He, he wears a maroon cap, not a dark blue one or a navy blue one. So I get it. I understand what he's going through. But really pleased for him to go out and not just get 100, but you know, score a big 100. Um, obviously, you know, Travis Head making his maiden Test Match 100, Curtis Patterson as well. Two young guys that I've coached in the Australian Under-19 set up and, you know, had a lot of fun and, you know, good conversation with great great young men. And then Usman Khawaja, you know, once again, a bit like Mitch Stark fighting for his position, mm. um, goes out and makes 100 in the second innings to, to put the icing on the cake. It would have been nice for his first innings, but, um, you know, Australia really, really, really finished the series well. The home series been a tough, torrid one against India, and then, you know, they they were slagged off for beating Sri Lanka. But you only beat what's put in front of you, um, and they did it in style. So, is a is a century against Sri Lanka on home soil guarantee of a spot on the plane to England for the Ashes? Yeah, I don't think if you don't don't worry about home soil in Sri Lanka. I think Usman Khawaja over the years has proved that he can score runs on difficult pitches. Yeah, um, he's a quality cricketer. Um, he's an integral part of that Australian setup now. One of the senior men, he's just got to start, you know, scoring, churning them around. Um, he can't have a quiet period. And if he comes on the Ashes tour here, he's just got to you know, find a way to score his hundreds here. Um, Joe Burns, I believe, I think he should come once again. You play your cricket in Brisbane on the Gabba, which is a seeming swinging, you know, fast bouncy nightmare we get the bat on at times. If you're averaging forty plus in in first class cricket, you go on a right plane at the Gabba. So got some experience in county cricket too, as well. He has, yeah. He hasn't really nailed county cricket. No, he hasn't done especially well, but I mean, he's coming in at least with his eyes open. So. He is. He understands it, but also the the thing that people have got to understand too that the uh, the surfaces they play on in county cricket are completely different to what you play yeah. on in Test cricket. Same with Shield cricket and Test cricket back in Australia, but. He's, he's coming here with. They're both coming here with you know county experience, um, you know, experience against the Duke's ball and a new Duke's ball this year too with a smaller scene. Um, whether or not that makes any difference, I don't know. But good to see those two Queenslanders. <laughs> the uh, the next few rounds of the Sheffield Shield are going to be played with the Duke's ball, aren't they? Mm. Um, so do you think the selectors will put uh, a lot of emphasis on performances in those uh, rounds of the Sheffield Shield when they're lo- looking to pick the Ashes squad? Look, if I. Knowing Australia, if I'm, let's be brutally honest, I reckon they've they've almost got their fifteen names down. They'll add two, um, but I don't I don't think you can go away from what the squad was for the summer. Um, I don't think there'd be too many changes from that. You know, they might add a, a Stoinis to the squad, Maxwell maybe. Um, I can't I can't see that at the moment. He, he looks completely out of favour, um, but I'm sure Justin Langer will have his uh, his idea of his squad right now. 
uh, and he has said that they, they won't send the ODI test players back to play Shield cricket. We've got ODI cricket coming up. We've got a World Cup we have to win. Um, so they won't be getting any Red Bull, um, Red Bull cricket till um, July. Um, that's interesting. But look, there, there will be emphasis on it. Obviously, there's there's a couple of young kids who you know got picked and then released. Uh, will Pekoski, one of them. Um, opportunity for him to go and score runs if he gets a couple of big scores in the last four games. Well, he, he can book a ticket on that plane, I believe. So look, it, it's it, it's got to mean more than what it currently does to Sheffield Shield competition. Um, to play with Duke's ball, I think yeah, it's it's different. Um, it, it brings the bowlers into the game. Um, but look, it, if the players go back and, and treat it with the respect that it deserves, um, you know, good things can come to them. It's a big year for Australia. I know it's a long way away, um, but who would you say are favourites of the Ashes at the moment? Oh, look, it's, yeah, it's a two-horse race. Look, I, it's too far out to call. Um, you know, I think England have got got their their issues um, to sort out, as have Australia. Um, it seems to be the trend in world cricket now. The home team seems to be dominating. I don't think England will will um, you know be the team they are in the Caribbean. I think they'll you know, stand up in. Jimmy in, Anderson in, in England is is always going to be. He's hard work. Yeah. yeah, he's hard work anywhere, but particularly here in England, yeah. he's he's particularly hard work. So um, Australia don't like the swinging ball. Stuart Broad's bowling beautifully. Um, Australia, you know, once again, ball swings, moves laterally. They 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 have been found out. Aussies have got to find a way to to battle that. To, to get the runs on the board, if, if Aussies can consistently get 350, 400, they've got the bowling attack to uh, to make inroads. Yeah, equally, Pat Cowens hasn't made a test in England before, and England don't seem to like um, playing ex- express pace. Mm. Uh, he could be a real handful for the England batsman. He'd be a handful anywhere in the world. <laughs> exactly. Now. He's a pretty awesome cricketer right now. He's a champion, mate. Um, they, they liken him to the Keith Miller from Australia from many, many years ago. Yeah. You know, the debonair, good-looking lad, big, strong, um, fast bowler, can bat, can field. So um, he's a very popular guy as well. Yeah. He's, he's, a, he's a champion young man. He really is. He's a good fellow. Nothing's a problem. Always a smile on his face, even when things are going bad. And he's had, he's had his problems, you know, injuries. Um, and to come through the way he has and to, to now hasn't missed a game for a long time um, through injury, maybe through resting, but not through mm. injury, is a credit to him, and you know he's he's really worked hard to get where he is. He bowls fast. Yeah, he's one of those he's hard hard to dislike. Yeah, no, no. Yeah. Well. <laughs> um, we're recording this podcast at Lords uh, for the first time. We normally record it in the Oval commentary box. Um, Stuart, you've just started. You started here at Middlesex a month mm. ago. Have you have you found it so far? Look, to be honest, um, to wake up and you, know, you look out the the window here, you, you're overlooking the ground and. You, know, you think, gee, that's my office. Um, it's a beautiful place to come and work. You know, sitting here in the pavilion, um, surrounded by steeped in history, surrounded by you know photos of legends who have played here before, and to work here, um, you know, is is it's it's a great great honour, privilege. Um, Middlesex is a massive county. Um, Realising that now, the amount of membership that we have, um, you know, it's and you know they all have an opinion about how we should be playing and. You know, it's good to know that because um, the, the way that I want to play is I don't I don't like losing. Um, but my first month here, mate, it's been brilliant. Um, I've really enjoyed working with the young kids uh, in the squad that we've got here at the moment. There's some obviously more experienced senior players um, just getting their thoughts and basically getting to know them. Um, it's pretty hard to come in first month and go, right, we're doing this, that and the other. 
people look at you as much as they hang on mate he's up tiger um <laughs> so it's just smoothly smoothly at this stage um we've got a planning meeting this afternoon with the coaches to work out you know what we're what we're, what we're trying to achieve for the next not just this season but seasons coming um and looking at player personnel so you know the boys are the boys are training hard that's for sure um I've enjoyed it. Can't wait to, to actually season start. It'll be, be great fun. People on the outside, particularly the outside of England, might look at you leaving West Indies, an international job for Middlesex, as a, as a kind of demotion in, in some ways. Mm. But you've obviously, you're kind of steeped in county cricket, played mm. many years at Essex, many years at Lancashire. How much of an impact did that have in your decision making? Uh, well, that, not, not as much as, you know, my family. Um, obviously, uh, there, was, there was a time when, I was heading off for the uh, Indian tour. We went to a, a training camp in Dubai before we went to India just in September last year. I was up in Leeds where my family are based now and um, I remember getting in the car and my son rang me. I was driving down to uh, Gatwick Airport. My son rang me around Nottingham and he just said, Dad, I don't like this. And I went, okay, that. I let it go for a bit. I spoke to my wife and then about another two hours driving, I, I, I rang him back and I said, what don't you like? So I don't like it when you go away. It's the first time he's ever said it. He, he loves the fact that, you know, I was like working with international teams and mm. when they came out, he, he came in and bowled. He thought it was brilliant. And he just said, don't, I, don't like, I don't like you leaving. And that really hit home, you know. And I thought, geez, you know, this is, there's a, there's a bigger world out there than, sure. um, and even at times I, I sat down and I thought, I've been a bit selfish because this is what I love doing. But I haven't really taken into consideration what the family going through and you know I, I raised it with the West Indies and said I'm going to be open and honest I've been offered a position here in England I'd be mad not to consider it yeah and they said look we'd like to um, you know take over a counter offer and blah 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 and you know the counter offer didn't really materialize um, which made it easier for me just to say right the family comes first um, you know I, I think even if the, the offer had materialized um, I don't think it would have got him, got got me over the line. Um, you know, my son he was sixteen at the time. He, he needs his dad around to to start growing and developing into what he wants to become, and you know, keep pushing him along that line as a, a good young man. And my wife's copped the brunt of it for the last you know sixteen, seventeen years. Um, it's time for me to you know lift, pull my finger out and start start contributing in that area. So, look, the the, the flip side of that is. To work for Middlesex was was an honour. I'm good friends with Gus Fraser, have been for a long time. Uh, and when he called and said, look, you fancy having a chat about the possibility? And as soon as, you know, the, there was a four-year term thrown on the table, and once you, as a coach you hear multi-year term, yeah. that doesn't come along too often. So um, it, it was, it, it was you know, I had to sit down and at least explore the avenue and, you know, whatever we'd come to and, you know, here I am. You have fond memories, obviously, of, of playing cricket here. I mean, your family are based here, but you played many years in county cricket, first for Essex and Lancashire. Mm. Um, yeah, do you, do you love your time here? Is that a big part of you coming back? Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, I've even had messages, you know, this year when when you know, Middlesex will play Essex at Chelmsford. Uh, you know, there's going to be you know, reunions of sorts. And um, obviously, we're, we're still very much entrenched in Lancashire. My wife coming from Liverpool. Um, you know, so... It, I have. I've got great memories, great friends, um, and you know now in this capacity, I've got more time to enjoy those friendships uh, rather than just you know battles out in the cricket ground. Um, 
they are still battles, but I'm not taking a full part, and I'm just sitting on the sideline, um, you know, taking an interest rather than in there fighting like like a like I used to. Um, but look, I, I I love county cricket. I, I really enjoyed my time here. I really enjoyed playing in in these conditions. Um, you know, uh, it was a great opportunity for me. I, I got told I wasn't good enough, you know, not enough times. I wasn't good enough to play for Australia. So I used to come over here, and you know, the opposition I played in in county cricket was my test match. So I used to stand there, puff my chest out, and up for a fight every day of the week. And um, every every night, every time you do well, you you send a message back home saying, "I'm going right here." Um, <laughs> you sent a few of those over the years. Yeah. Well, they, well, they well, seem to be listening all that. No, you averaged fifty-five or so in England. So I think you you sent that message, message loud right. and clear. Yeah. Well, it was quite funny. I remember talking to Trevor Haynes, who was the chairman of selectors years ago as well, and I said, "Mate, I've just got." 1800 in championship <laughs> cricket. That's it. Not, not counting one day cricket. He goes, Oh, we don't count English county cricket. <laughs> for the next year, Alan, uh, Justin Langer was over playing for Middlesex and he got a squillion runs. He goes, Oh, I've got to pick him because he's got a thousand. He got 1400 in county championship cricket. So, Hang on, mate. What was, what was wrong with you before with 1800? No, no, it's, it was, it was great, mate. I, I, I love the fact that I could come here and yeah. relax and play, play cricket. I wasn't captain. Um, I didn't want to be captain of any county. I just wanted to come here and play and, and nurture the young talent, which was which was part of the job, and I, I loved every minute of it. You're only just back into it, but is your impression it might have changed a bit since your day? A bit fitness testing in January was that was that was that around? Then? <laughs> What's a fitness test? <laughs> no, our fitness test was uh, you know a cup of coffee, bacon roll, and then go on go on bat for seven and a half hours. If you could do that, you're okay. Yeah. Um, it, the times have changed, and, and look, I understand that. You know, pro- progression is inevitable in, in all walks of life. Um, as long as we don't get carried away and take it too far. Um, cricket for me is a high skill-based game. If you're not training those skills um, more often than not, well, you, your skill level's not going to go up. And, you know, everyone's learning new tricks. Bowlers are learning new tricks. Batters are learning new tricks. So we've got to make sure our skill levels are, are still very high to be able to compete and go forward in the in the game out in the middle. doesn't matter, you know, in the Wisdom Almanac, they don't say what your yo-yo test is. It just says batting average, bowling average, everything runs scored, you know, wickets taken. So, you know, that's that's the main focus. You've got to be fit. Don't get me wrong. You've got to be fit. Um, that's why they get paid the big bucks these days. You've got quite an exciting squad at Middlesex. You've still got the core that won the county championship in 2016, as well as having an exciting crop of young players coming through. Tom Helm, Nick Gubbins. Stevie Eskenazi, Max Holden. That must be very exciting. Does that play a part in you deciding to come here as well? Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, the, the, ex- the exciting thing is, as you just alluded to, got you know, relegated last year, but basically the same squad that won the championship in Division One two years ago. So there's no reason why these players can't, you know, turn it around very quickly to, to get you know, Middlesex out of, out of the second division. Um it's not going to be easy. It's not just a matter of turning up and playing. We have to play some pretty hard cricket. So, you know, that's that's that is exciting. Um, and there are some young, talented, you know, batters here, which you know, I haven't had a lot to do with at this stage. But what I've seen excites me. Um, the the fact that you know you got the best white ball captain in, in currently in the world um, to sit there and have a chat to about different things and how we're going about about playing cricket, whether it be four day, one day, twenty over cricket. Um, to use or to not use him is be completely mad. So you know, guys like that, David Malone, who, who you know, played Test cricket not long ago and had a pretty good Ashes to it. Um, so there's, there's, there's high quality. Uh, you've got Steve Finney, who's been around for a long time. So played against Finney, played against Ollie Rayner. 
uh, played against Darwin and Morgue. So you know, I know I know a few of them um, from the other side of the fence. Now I'm on the on this side of the fence. Uh, it's really nice to to get in and understand what makes them tick and see them go about their work. So. Look, it's exciting. Yeah, it is. Uh, a lot of good young cricketers, some really good experienced players as well. Um, I, I can't wait for the season to start. In pre-season um, nowadays, with there being 2020 leagues all over the world, various England youth tours, England Lions tours, is that quite hard to prepare for a county season when you don't have the full squad with you for that long before the season yeah, I'm, starts? I'm a different type of coach. I, I, I don't like you know, saying to, to a player, you can't do this, you can't do that. You've got to be here and you've got to... Mm. I, I'd, I'd hate to be stuck in indoor schools um, for three months of an off-season just hitting balls. It, it is mind-numbingly... It can be mind-numbingly boring. Um, I'd rather the players go out and play cricket. Um, I don't think you... You don't really progress in a, in a, in a cricket sense by practising. You progress by playing. You've got to be put in that situation. You've got to be the overseas player at a, at a, at a club... In, in Australia or South Africa and it's all on you, you you've got to win the game and to play under that pressure makes it easier for you to go and compete out in the middle out here so I, I'd rather see them and with the England Lions that's that's a great thing you know their next step is playing for England so I've got no complaints working with the guys that are here um, if there's more here that's great if there's less guys here that, that means they're out playing cricket they're doing something they're also learning to live uh, fend for themselves which I think is a big part of life and Learning how to go forward, so I'm not I'm not a not a possessive coach. I'd, I'd rather see them spread their wings and go and play cricket. You know, meet up at a certain time in in enough time to to get together and you know start the season wrong. It's just, we've got obviously some demanding fans here, as you'd expect in the at Lords in the in the capital city of this country, and they they had a county championship win only a few years ago. Mm. I think most of them would say anything other than promotion to Div One is for a disappointment this year. Is that would you go along with that? Uh, look, yeah. Uh, one thing I learned when I played for Queensland, we Queensland hadn't won a Sheffield Shield for sixty-eight years, sixty-nine years, uh, and we always focused on winning something. We've got to win the Shield. We've got to do this, and it never worked. So if you're focusing on that, you forget about everything you've got to do here. Yeah. Um, to sit here and say yes, we must get promoted. I don't think I don't think we need to think like that. Um, it might be what everyone else is thinking. The membership might be thinking that. But as a group, we don't need to be thinking that. That's putting too much pressure on uh, every day to day. There's circumstances that may may stop us, um, you know, getting to the, to the level we need to get to. But um, whether it be weather, whether it be, you know, injuries or what, what have you. Um, I think, you know, a real reflection of um, a successful year this year will be how we play the game, how we bounce back from last year. Um, and if we're playing in a positive, uh, aggressive, you know, manner, uh, with you know, good planning and good understanding of what we can do, I think the results will take care of themselves. Well, Stuart, thank you so much for coming on to the podcast today. We really appreciate it. It was great hearing your insights on it, all things West Indies, Middlesex, etc. Joe, thank you very much for coming on as ever. And folks, if you enjoyed the podcast this week, tell your friends, get them subscribed, and we'll see you next week. Bye. Podcast Network.